want to invite up this morning Jason Maxwell. He's from Arkansas. Good friend, a friend of us, a friend of our church. We're glad to have him this morning. Give him a good hand as he comes today. Can you hear me now? All right. Good morning. Um, so first, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me here and welcoming me. I know that this is a tough subject for a lot of people. Um, it's a tough subject for our country. But what I want to really express is it's a tougher subject for those who struggle with homosexuality. Because they don't feel welcome in the world. They don't feel welcome in the church. And oftentimes that's where we end up in such explosive battles between the church, within our families, within our communities. And so today I hope to shed a little bit of light on that and bring a variety of perspectives. Um, <clears throat> so if I can go to the next slide, I'm going to talk a little bit about our ministry real quick and then get into it. So our mission is to exemplify God's love by compassionately helping people find their true identity in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why do I add empowered by the Holy Spirit in that? There are many denominations and many churches across our country who never speak about the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of us, who empowers us to live transformed lives and overcoming lives. And as I share with you today, I'll, I'll share more about that. But we do this by bringing people into close proximity with Jesus and allowing him to set the captives free. Who knows that it is not our responsibility as church goers or the church itself to set captives free. It is our responsibility to introduce them to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Holy Spirit brings transformation. So what we have to do is be carriers of him. And by being carriers of him, just being around us will set captives free. Amen? All right, if we can go to the next one. So our heart. Everything we do at Flames to Fire Ministry is motivated by our love for God and every human he created in his image. This is something that we all really have to grab hold of. God created every single one of us. Even people that are trapped and bound in sin. People who completely reject Jesus. He created them. And he created them with a plan and a purpose. Our job as the church is to help them find that plan and purpose, to reintroduce them to an authentic God who loves them, who wants to draw them close to him and restore a relationship. Who in here believes that at some point in your life you did not have a relationship with Jesus? Some of you? All right. Well, I hope by the end of today, I will be able to show you that every one of you were sinners. That every one of you needed Jesus Christ. Because if you didn't need him, you can't actually be repentant. You can't actually accept what he paid the price to restore you for. So as we go um, in that, 
Um, we believe that every, whoop, can you go back? Sorry. <laughs> we believe that every individual, regardless of their past or current life choices and circumstances, is loved by God and deserves to find a fulfilling relationship with him. All right. All right. Now we can go to the next one. <clears throat> so a lot of times, um, at least once, if not twice a year, I travel with other people like myself who have been set free from homosexuality. And we um, go to D.C. and we talk with legislators, Alliance Defending Freedom, um, and several other organizations. Many would call us activists, and we are, because we actively believe that every person in the LGBT community deserves the right to heal. We believe that they deserve the opportunity to counseling whether it's pastoral care, whether it's actual counseling, um, whether it's talk therapy, whatever it happens to be, they deserve the right to make that choice. That just because they have the feelings of same-sex attraction does not automatically mean they are condemned to a life of homosexuality. That when they go seeking, that they have the ability to walk into a counselor's office and that counselor allow them to self-guide their own therapy. Counselors are not meant to affirm them into a lifestyle and overlook every trauma they ever experienced in their life just to make them feel better about themselves. Okay, I know that's a tough word right there, but let me tell you, between the human rights campaign itself believes that 36% or 36% of those in their own studies, which are no longer on their website because they took them off because they realized it wasn't helping their cause. But 36% of those in the LGBT community have experienced sexual abuse or early childhood traumas. Even if only 36% of those in the LGBT community experience those things, don't those 36% deserve the right to heal? The laws that are being approaching our nation and across our country on uh, conversion therapy bans, all sorts of therapy, um, including the ability to talk to a pastor about their struggles, puts um, an affirmation clause on it to where you can't speak anything that would challenge someone's ability to stay there. The second part that it does is it makes it to where you no longer can talk about childhood abuse, sexual traumas, anything that came from their past that might have helped shape them to have those attractions. And that keeps them from healing. So, that, um, so this is a group of us when we were in DC last year, if you'll go to the next slide. This is another organization I'm part of, the Freedom March. The Freedom March puts on an opportunity several times a year for people who have stepped away from the LGBT community to have the opportunity to share what God has done in their lives. Many times, the church is unwilling to hear that message because we have so much division in our own country and oftentimes in our own hearts. None of us wants to be full of hate. None of us wants to condemn someone else. But here's the thing, we have to still stand firm on God's truth. And God's truth allows people to be set free. 
whether it's drug addiction, alcoholism, fornication, adultery, idolatry, gossip, envy, lust of any kind, we all deserve to be overcomers. And so that's what the Freedom March is about. It's about allowing people who God has intervened in their lives in miraculous ways like he did mine to actually have the opportunity to glorify what he did. Because too many times in the American church, the church is too afraid to glorify someone coming out of homosexuality. Why? Because they're instantly attacked for it. So I applaud you guys for being willing to broach this subject and as pastors for being willing to stand. One thing that I'll share with you too, because of our involvement, my family constantly receives death threats. Why? The reason you don't hear more of our stories is because the LGBT community has sought to sell a born this way philosophy for so long, which makes it impossible for them to come out. So if someone else challenges that by actually having come out, then it's something that the Human Rights Campaign, the ACLU, the Southern Poverty Law Center, all have to stand firmly against because it goes against everything that they have fought hard for. Here's what I'll say. Everything that they have fought hard for in the beginning was fought hard for for a reason. We can oftentimes take things from one space to another space and the bullies become, or the bullied become the bullies, right? And so that's what we're really here trying to help the church understand um, and find is we, there are two ditches. You know, on one hand, we have Westboro Baptist. On the other hand, we have your LGBT activist. The reality is most of the church and most of the LBGT community lies in the middle. Um, so if we can go to the next slide. So another thing that we do within our ministry is we travel not just our nation but the world um, to bring the love of Christ to every nation and every people that we encounter. Um, this was a trip that I just recently took to Guatemala with my 10-year-old daughter. And um, man, let me just tell you, it's amazing to watch your kids get up and proclaim the good news of Christ. Not because they have to, but because they want to. And to not frame it in a way that they have to do it. These kids that went, they decided what they wanted to do was each one of them wanted to share a one to four minute testimony of something God had done in their life and then do a worship dance, and then switch to another kid. So she got to join 17 kids in Guatemala and four from Arkansas. Um, and for the four from Arkansas shared their testimonies. One of the kids um, from Guatemala was actually their translator um, for it. It was a really powerful time. And they got to see how them witnessing impacted the hearts and the minds of adults. Our kids are not carriers of a junior Holy Spirit. We as parents have to realize that our, our kids, if they're tapping into the Holy Spirit, have the same wisdom that we do. Their brain might not, but their spirit does. And we have to be discerners of where they're coming from. Are they speaking to us from the Holy Spirit or are they speaking just from their mind? And be able to 
allow an open space for our children to challenge us, to challenge not in a disrespectful way, but, you know, if we can't build safe atmospheres in our homes for our kids to question things, to ask real questions and to challenge and know that they're going to get a safe response versus be met, uh, met with a, a iron fist of it's my way because I said so, that's one of the greatest ways we can raise up the next generation into thinking for themselves, being led by the Holy Spirit, and realizing they don't have to be afraid because he is with them. Amen? All right. So next slide. So why us? Um, We sang a song earlier that God can turn everything that the enemy meant for evil into something good. I experienced sexual abuse for the first time between the ages of five and six. Too many times our kids experience things that were never meant for them to experience. Sometimes it's because our parents were too busy working and not busy enough paying attention. Sometimes it's because the mom and dad couldn't fulfill their marriage covenant. And so they were raised by just a single mom or raised by a single dad. Sometimes it's because drugs or alcohol entered the picture and one of them was put in jail. So again, they're raised by a single mom or a single dad. God didn't design family so that one person had to bear the whole load. He designed parents and family so that the two could come together as one, that they could be the fulfillment of God's entire being. As fathers, we impart destiny into our kids. We are able to speak life into them. But sometimes we're not the best nurturers. That's not true of all of us, but for some it is. Moms are great nurturers, but can they also impart destiny? Absolutely. But the two coming together and being able to be led by the Spirit together is how God designed family to be. Amen? So... As I went through childhood, my viewpoint of love and relationships was very skewed. The enemy took that sexual abuse. And for the first time, that was the first time I ever felt loved by a male. For some people, they take sexual abuse and it does the opposite. They feel so disgusted and so um, against what happened that they vow to never partner with that sex. So that we tend to see more so with, with women who have been sexually abused by a male or a male who has been sexually abused by a female. Okay, The enemy will take that and do whatever he needs to destroy what God intended. And so for me... 
it was the first time I really felt accepted and loved. And so I took that, and over the course of many years, I always wanted a family. Let me, I grew up in the Church of Christ. Well, I say grew up. We were in the Church of Christ until I was about eight or nine. And then my family left the Church of Christ. My parents were in leadership. This was in Colorado in the early 80s. And there was a black family trying to join the church. And the leadership of the church literally split over whether they could or couldn't join. Um, my parents obviously felt they should. And my parents were on the losing end of the battle. And so we left the church. Um, and my parents decided it was about a personal relationship with God and seeking after a personal relationship, but they didn't really want to have anything to do with the organized church anymore. The problem for us kids, we didn't have a personal relationship with God. The other problem, my parents didn't either. You can't have a personal relationship with God without knowing about the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a church that preaches two-thirds of who God is. And leaves out the most important part. And when I say the most important, I know that Jesus is the name above all names. And I know without God the Father, he wouldn't have loved us enough to send Jesus to die for us. But guess what? Jesus had to leave the apostles and the disciples so that he could take his rightful place in heaven. Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Where he makes the enemy his footstool. We, as believers, are seated with him in heavenly places, even as we sit here on earth. Our spirit is seated with him, and we are joint heirs to the throne with Jesus Christ. We have the power and the authority at our disposal to overcome every work of the enemy in our lives. Not because it's our power, but because it's his, and he granted it to us. So if we are seated with him and abide in him the way he abode, abode, abided with the Father as he walked the earth, we can walk earth in victory. Do you guys believe that? All right. So fast forward through junior high, high school, um, I started going back to church on my own. Um, I always struggled with same-sex attraction but I wanted to get married, I wanted to have kids, I wanted everything that the American dream has to offer, but I couldn't get past the fact that I was attracted to men. So at 18, um, I got to the point of suicide. I was suicidal because I couldn't reconcile what God said about homosexuality and what the Bible, I should say, what I had heard God said about homosexuality and what I heard the Bible say and my parents say, and oftentimes that was a very condemning message. Can you believe that those gay people do those things? Can you believe that they are so proud that they are having parades celebrating their sin? Well, when a kid who's struggling with those feelings that they don't understand. Here's those words coming out of the mouths of people that they love and respect or that are in their church or in their family. They no longer feel safe to talk about their struggles because 
if they're saying, can you believe, that means it truly must be a shameful thing. How many of you have kids in here? I have a challenging question for you. If your son comes home and tells you that he is sleeping with his cheerleader girlfriend outside of wedlock, do you have the same gut-curdling reaction of sin and disgust that Jesus died for as you do if he comes home and says that he's sleeping with his wrestling boyfriend? If the answer is no, I challenge you to take this to the Holy Spirit to ask God to show you his heart towards sin. Because there is no difference between fornication and homosexuality. They are both sins of sexual immorality outside of the confines of marriage. Second point that I wanna make here is when we look at marriage, actually I'm just gonna jump to this story. When God set me free, which I'll go back to in a minute, but when he set me free, um, a few months after that, he said, if I was always willing to share my testimony at every open door opportunity he gave me, that when I reach heaven, I will encounter a million plus individuals that he set free from homosexuality through my testimony. That seems impossible to me. With God, all things are possible. But in uh, June of 2015, when the Supreme Court legalized marriage across our land between um, homosexual couples, I no longer had faith for what God said. I no longer had faith that what the mission that he gave me was going to be possible. Because now we have just bound people in an even tighter tighter area now they are going to have to struggle with well is it a sin for me to get divorced since i got married how do i walk out of this relationship all of these different kinds of things and so i had gone to church that morning my wife was sick and i had gone to church and i'm sitting there and i couldn't even worship and i love to worship but i couldn't even bring myself to worship because i was so wrapped around what the enemy was doing and at the end of that service, our pastor, and this wasn't really like him to, to call things out at the end of a service, but he said, I just feel like there's someone in here who really needs to know that what God told you is the truth and that the, the mission that he had for you is not canceled because of something that recently happened. And he said, so if that's you, I want you to come up here and we're going to pray for you. Well, obviously, I knew that was me. And so I walked up there and the church prayed for me and I go to leave and I get to the front door of the church as I'm walking out and I hear the Holy Spirit say, are you going to come worship me now? So I called my wife and I said, I'm going back to second service. And I went back in there and I was still struggling with worshiping, but I was pushing through. And I was like, thank you for the word. I will stand. And... I said, but what am I supposed to do? And he said, walk from gravit to Little Rock. I said, walk from gravit to Little Rock. I'm like, that's impossible. All things are possible with Christ who strengthens you. 
And he said, I said, but why? And he said, everywhere the sole of your, tre your foot treads, you are reclaiming ground for my kingdom. So I'm like, okay. I went home, I tell my wife. She looks at me and she goes, there is no way you came up with that idea on your own. She's like, I guess you better get to stepping. <laughs> and so within 12 days, I had made my plans to walk across the state of Arkansas from Gravit to Little Rock. But as I was making those plans, God continued to, to shape um, how that walk was going to occur. And he began highlighting on a map every town I was supposed to walk through. And it was like what he showed me was these blue spirals that had seven rings popping up on these, on these towns. And I'm like, well, why, why does it look like tornadoes? They look like cartoon versions of tornadoes. And he impressed on me I was to walk seven times around every school board administration building and every city hall in every town he had me walk through. So fast forward eight years after I completed that. Well, I take my seventh lap around the state capital of Arkansas. I had bought a Fitbit because I had woke up in the middle of the night one night going, God, this is impossible. I walked five miles today and I literally feel like I'm going to die. And every bone in my body hurt, my muscles all hurt, I am clearly not the fittest person. And uh, I wasn't then either. And uh, so, but I woke up to this song, it was an old police song, um, Every Breath You Take. Only the words were changed. And he said, every step you take, another bond I'll break. Every step you take, another soul I'll take, I'll be watching you. And I bought a Fitbit. And I was like, if nothing else, that's going to keep me motivated. Because that's a promise I can receive and make tangible. I took the seventh lap around the state capital of Arkansas. And I looked down and on my Fitbit, I had taken 1,300,000 plus steps. Had I not been obedient to what he asked me to, I never would have had that confirmation of his original promise to continue to stand. I never would have subjected my wife and my daughters to constant affliction and persecution. It's not easy to walk against culture, all right? I don't say that from a feel sorry for us standpoint. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to stand up for what his truth is and what he says. And so as we continue to move, um, if you fast forward from the point of, at the point of suicide, God told me, or the Holy Spirit stopped me and said, if you kill yourself now, the devil wins now. I'm like, wait, what? I had only given him two choices. I was not going to get married, lie to my wife, and pretend I didn't have same-sex attraction. I knew that at 18. I wasn't willing to do that. I wasn't willing to, like, I had friends whose parents had gotten divorced. I saw what that did to them. I wasn't ever willing to do that to my own kids. Please know when I'm saying this, I'm sharing my heart. I'm not trying to bring condemnation if you've gone through, gone through any type of of struggles in your marriage and all of those things, God's grace covers it all, right? But I knew I didn't want to do that. And so I had gotten to the point of I'm either coming out and living the truth 
or I'm dying. And I decided that killing myself was easier than bringing shame and condemnation upon my family and having to deal with the potential rejection that would come along with that. But God took that away. Because I realized if I killed myself, then the devil won then, and that was scary thought. And so as I stepped forward from that place, I came out. I lived in the gay lifestyle for 15 years. As I said earlier, I always wanted the closest thing to marriage I could have within the confines of my feelings. After dating and dating and all of these guys saying they wanted the same thing and realizing they really just wanted to sleep with you, I was like, wow, this isn't working. But I finally met someone, and we spent 11 years together. Fast forward to 2010, we go to my niece's high school graduation. Keep in mind, my partner and I never stopped going to church. We never stopped believing in Jesus. We were just very confused and deceived in what our, our life looked like, okay? We also, in those churches, were never welcomed into home groups. We weren't invited into people's houses. We really didn't even know that was a thing. We were able to go to church, sit in the pews, and leave. People would smile at us and say hi, but that was it. We didn't know church had anything else to offer. So we didn't really get the opportunity to encounter the Holy Spirit through the people that we were sitting next to. Um, so as we went to this, my high, niece's high school graduation, we were brought, um, we decided the next morning, so her graduation was on a Saturday night, we decided as a whole family, we'd go to this little church in Centerton, Arkansas, called uh, New Life Christian, Christian Center at that time. And um, it was the first time I ever set foot into a spirit-filled church. I didn't even know what that meant. And so we step in there. We go. This was definitely not the first time that Keith and I had gone to church with my family. Um, my parents made it clear where they stood on the issue. But they still found a way to love us, welcome us, and walk alongside us. Um, which was not the case in the beginning. Um, it took them several years to get to the point where their judgment and where they stood in truth could actually welcome us back into their lives. Um, because honestly, if you've ever been through that, like walking with parents all the time has been so healing for me because I realized how much my parents actually cared. It wasn't, it, it wasn't rejection on their part. They were just grieving. They were grieving in such a real way that it was impossible for me to understand from that side. And so, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. So we go to church service. We're standing there before any pastor starts speaking or anything else. We're just here in worship, and I'm standing there, and the power of the Holy Spirit hits me. He just begins to pour out the love of Jesus Christ for me. It was a love that I had never experienced before. For the first time in my life, I realized that had Jason Maxwell been the only person that Jesus would have needed to live 
on this earth for 33 years and suffer for, he would have done it just for me. No longer was about all of you. Yes, he died for all of you, but he died for me. And all of a sudden, all that knowledge that I had and a lot of things that I didn't know just flooded my heart. And he left me with this. Are you ready to follow me now? What do you mean? I've been following you my whole life. I was baptized between second and third grade at summer camp. I turned my life over to you. Are you ready to follow me now? So right after this experience of overwhelming love was the fear of the Lord <laughs> and the knowledge that, wow, I, I better do things different. He's showing me, he's given me the last 15 years to get my junk together. He didn't reject me. He didn't push me out. He actually saved me. He saved me so that his love, which is patient, kind, never insists on its own way, was able to bring me to a point that I was willing to follow him. There are many of you sitting in this church today that may have been following God your entire life, but really what you've been doing, like 95% of the rest of the church, is checking a box. You come to church, you put on your church mask, you're like, hey, brother, how's it going? And you're so excited to see each other. And when somebody goes, well, it's kind of been a crappy week. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Have a blessed day. Instead of getting inside and going, well, what's going on? You know what? We don't actually have to make it into service today. We can sit out here and have a real conversation, and the Holy Spirit can help us through it, right? Nobody's judging whether you sit in the seat or don't sit in the seat. God knows your heart, and if you're moved with compassion to, like, sit and build a relationship with somebody, that's more important. Because we have every other day of the week to praise and to worship him in our quiet places. And is there awesome, look, we enter the courts of heaven through praise and worship. And community worship is an amazing way to do that. But you know, when we do that in our own home by ourselves with him, relationship between us is built. And it takes away all the thoughts of who's staring at me if I happen to jump too high or wave my hands too high or if I sit here just because I'm totally depressed today, right? So that relationship, he knows our heart. He knows what we want. And all he wants is relationship with us. And so I walk away from that church experience that day. Never able to go back. So we drive back to Dallas. The next weekend, we go to my partner's, one of his cousin's graduations in Austin. Um, in the middle of all that, they were all out, outside talking and, and everything. And I just felt like I had to go home. And my partner comes walking back in through the house. And he's like, are you okay? I'm like, I just, I've got to go home. We lived in Dallas at the time, and he's like, he's like, well, okay, do I, like now? And I'm like, yeah. 
I was like, why don't you just stay here and come home with your aunt and uncle when they're driving back through to Chicago and have them drop you off in a couple days? He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. And so I went home and struggled with the Holy Spirit. How do you leave the person that you say you've loved for 11 years because God told you to? Especially when you've both been going to church the whole time. How could he have let us stay together for 11 years and build what we considered an amazing life? You know, not all people in the gay community are miserable. Are there a lot of people who are? Yes. But I often look back and go, I was gay, successful, and happy by all worldly standards. And I thought I was standing in a right relationship with God. As I built the largest home staging and design company in Texas, I gave God the glory for it every single day. And I said, thank you so much for the blessings that you keep pouring onto my business. And so when he pulled me out of that and I was left with nothing and I had closed down my business and helped my employees find jobs and I relocated within three weeks of that experience, closed down my business, resigned from every board position I had on the International Association of Home Staging Professionals and the local real estate board to follow Christ. And I told everyone why. Because I wanted them to hold me accountable if I ever tried to come back. And so as I stepped into the future, within three weeks, I'm standing back at the same church and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I was so angry with God. Why didn't you just let me kill myself 15 years ago? Now you're pulling me through the same struggles in reverse. Now everything that I had to convince myself was okay then, I'm having to undo and unravel and go back to my family and go, I was wrong. Why would you let me do that? And he goes, raise your hands. Raise your hands and surrender to me. I'm just standing there in worship and I have my eyes closed. And I'm like, I am not going to raise my hands. Only crazy people raise their hands in church. Raise your hands and surrender to me. And I open my eyes and I look around. And I realize I'm staying in church where everyone was raising their hands. And I said this. God, I am a leader, not a follower. I'm not going to just raise my hands. Well, isn't that kind of a problem? Because aren't we supposed to be followers of Christ? I didn't even realize how stupid what I was saying was. So finally, I'm like, fine. And then I just started pouring out my anger. And then I said, God, I just gave up everything that I've ever worked hard for to follow you. And if you say I'm not gay or I'm not supposed to live gay, then it's your responsibility to take away why I think that way. It's your responsibility to take away every, every piece of my abuse, every sexual interaction that I've had, every viewing of pornography, whatever it was that made me believe this identity that you say is not who you created me to be, you rewire my brain and you take it away. And in that moment, my hands began to shake. And I literally felt waves of heat going back and forth through my mind. And I stepped away from that experience, never questioning whether I was born gay or not. God is a miracle worker. The same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago is supposed to be alive on the inside of every believer. He made us to be overcomers. 
to overcome every attempt of the enemy to destroy our lives. A couple weeks later, I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, I gave you credit for my business. Why did you take it away? He said, I never gave it to you. God does not care, or the enemy does not care that you give God the credit if the demonstration and the walk you are giving to the world is all about the world because it deceives everyone around you. Just because you're walking in great finances and business and all of these things does not mean you're standing in right relationship with God. At the same time, it doesn't mean you aren't. And so judge with the Holy Spirit. Ask him. He wants to be involved in every little detail of our lives. So we fast forward to um, about four months later. And I had been reading this book on the good fight of faith. And I put it down and I go to bed. And I'm laying in my bed. I'm getting ready to go to sleep. And I start feeling these waves of electricity, like going up and down my body. I know most of you probably think I'm totally crazy. And that's okay. Because we serve a supernatural God, and we're not meant to explain everything that he does. So I feel all this, but I felt paralyzed. And I couldn't move. It was like there was this huge weight on me. And then I remember thinking, do I even want to move? Like, this is kind of but then I also go, is this the devil or is this God? Because I really didn't know. Because I didn't read about this in the Bible. Of course, I still hadn't read it through most of the Bible, I'll be honest. And I'm sitting there, but there was such a peace attached to it. And I just lay there. And all of a sudden, all this gibberish starts coming out of my mouth. And it made absolutely no sense to me. I often explain it. It was like saying three syllables of Calabunga Dude from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I was like, that's how ridiculous it seemed to me. This goes on for about an hour and a half. My dog's sitting there licking me in the face. I can't swat him off because I'm like, if I like literally force myself, does that make this stop? So just stay. Just stay. What I realized later, God often has taken me and done these amazing, miraculous things and then sends me back to his word to prove it. And so I found out that was me being baptized in the Holy Spirit. What do you mean? There's two baptisms? Like there's baptism in water and then baptism in the spirit. But I thought when I was baptized in water that the spirit instantly came and dwelled within me. Well, he does. And he's sealed within you at that point. But there is power that comes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was something I never knew before. And that power is what has allowed me to walk a transformed life. That power is what allowed me to get married. If you'll go to the next slide for me. This is my family. This is the heritage of God that was meant for me that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. Because these three young ladies have already done so much. Holland, our oldest, which is my stepdaughter. When we opened our food pantry, there was a lady that came, came through and she's just standing in the middle. 
of, of the parking lot because we were having a garage sale. I know all this sounds kind of random, but it's not. Standing over there, and I walk over there, and I'm like standing here, there, towards the back, and, but staring right at me. And I'm like, can I help you, ma'am? Just keep staring, but doesn't say anything. So I walk up closer, and I go, ma'am, can I help you? And she like jumps, and she's startled. Well, as it turned out, she was blind. And she was just standing there waiting for her sister who was walking around doing all the garage sales shopping. I was like, oh. I was like, would you like me to walk you to your sister? And she's like, yeah. And so I put my arm out and she grabs it and I go, who is her sister? And her sister raises her hand and I was like, okay, let's walk over there. And so we walk over there and I told her sister, I was like, would you mind like staying with her and taking her with you as you go? And she's like, oh yeah, I'm so sorry. I go back and I go walk towards the front of the building again. And the Holy Spirit goes, are you going to leave her that way? Uh, what do you mean? Really, I said, um, yes. <laughs> because I knew what he meant. And so I questioned again, what do you mean? And he's like, are you going to leave her blind? Yeah. So I go take another step and he's like, don't leave her blind. So I call my friend, Sarah. My wife was there too, but I called my friend, Sarah, who's there. And I was like, hey, Sarah, you want to come with me and pray for this lady? And she's like, sure. What are we praying for? And I said, that God heals her blindness. And she stops and she goes, really? And I'm like, yep. She's like, okay. So we go walking over there. And I was like, ma'am, do you believe in Jesus? And she's like, she lights up. Oh, yes. I was like, do you know that he still heals people today like he did 2,000 years ago? And she goes, yes, I believe that. And in my mind, I'm still in doubt that God is actually going to heal this lady of blindness. Even though I know I heard what I heard, I'm still in doubt. And her sister goes, well, she's only been blind for three years. She had a stroke, and that's why she has a harder time speaking, um, and it took her sight. Well, instantly, it took me back to when I was walking from Gravit to Little Rock, and I encountered a man who had had a stroke on the side of the road, and I prayed for him, and instantly, all of his stroke symptoms were gone. And as I kept walking down that road, I looked back with this 80-year-old man just praising Jesus in the background. And I was like, stroke I can do. I have the faith and the belief for stroke. This isn't blindness. This is a stroke. And so, so we prayed for her. And as we prayed, tears began to run down her eyes. And the milkiness that was on her eyes went away. And she pointed at my little girl, Grayson, who was about 20 feet from her. And she pointed in this big smile. And she goes, beautiful, beautiful. And she walked out of our parking lot. See, that is what God does. When our food pantry actually opened, Hall and our 19-year-old prays for this lady afterwards. Didn't even know what she was praying for. The lady just said she was sick. So Holland's like, well, I know that Jesus is a healer. I've watched him open blind eyes and all of these things. And she just prays for the lady in the parking lot. I didn't even know all this went on. The lady calls me that night and she goes, she goes, I don't know who that girl was, but she kind of described her. And she said, but when she prayed for me, 
I felt the power of God like I haven't felt in decades. And I was like, oh, that was our daughter. I was like, I'm so glad, you know. I was like, cool, it made my heart happy. Well, a week and a half later, she comes running into our, running into our um, food pantry. Well, I guess it's two weeks later. Two weeks later, she comes running into the food pantry, and she's like, where's that girl? Where's that girl? And I'm like, what girl? And she's like, the one that prayed for me. And I was like, oh, she's right back over there. And I took her into where Holland was at. And she went in, and she talked to Holland. And then she comes back out, and she goes, I just want you to know that her faith made me whole. I've been on dialysis five times a week for the last two and a half years. And I went to the doctor last week, and they told me they couldn't explain it, but I didn't need dialysis anymore. Amen. God wants to heal us. He doesn't want us to be sick and oppressed. So as we continue to move forward with all of that, God has allowed us to witness to so many people in the LGBT community. Why? Because I understand where they're at. I understand the hurt. I understand the pain. I understand what it is to be betrayed by your own family through sexual abuse. I understand what it is to feel rejected and alone. I understand also what it is to power through and in your own might overcome what you think is all of your issues when really what you're doing is covering them up so that you can function. Whether it's alcoholism, drug addiction, sexual immorality, sexual addictions, homosexuality, the enemy doesn't care what bad fruit comes out. He just cares that you stay deceived. He cares that you aren't healed so that, you know when the word talks about that, that um, and such were some of you, homosexuals, adulterers, idolaters, drunks, those that envy and boast, all of those things. But you were washed, you were cleansed, and you went forth as an overcomer. You didn't stay that way. He calls us to transformation, not confirmation. In the church, we often look to make people conform to the standards of the church and how it's supposed to look pretty and how we're supposed to be poised when really what the enemy is doing there is isolating every member of the church. He's isolating people. The man that's struggling with pornography doesn't feel safe to go talk to anybody about it because what if he's the only one? 86% of pastors today struggle with pornography. Why do you think that is? They couldn't possibly go tell anybody or their whole flock would go away. That's the deceit of the enemy. There are so many youth pastors who struggle with same-sex attraction as a result of pornography addictions. But they have no one to talk to. They can't talk to anyone within their church, which is why ministries like ours become so important. They need a place to go where they can talk and not be judged by their own community. Even Jesus didn't perform miracles in his own hometown. That wasn't because he wasn't able. It wasn't because he wasn't willing. It was because those around him weren't willing to let him. Right? So as we 
move from this, I know that I'm going over my time and I'm sorry. God wants to set you free. Your sin is nothing that he's scared of. But your healing is so important to him. As we move into like this area, like there's been a lot of us that have said for years that, so when I was actively in the LGBT community, transgender just really weren't that welcome within the LGBT community. But then they realized, hey, we can't really be keeping them out if we're telling everybody else that we should include everybody. And so now we have LGBTQIA+. Because everybody's welcome. As long as you don't stand up and seek a truth that's different. And so um, in that, though, we also knew that ultimately the transgender experience would be the downfall of the LGBT community. Because in that experience, there was no way to defend it. God did not create multiple genders outside of two, male and female, he created them. That's something we can stand on, but we can stand on it in love and go, man, I realize that you are like suffering. You don't even have to stay confused. It's probably better if you don't stay confused. I realize that you're suffering and I'd love to just get in the mess of your life. Who likes to get messy? A few people? Good. So we've got four people out of what? A couple hundred that like to get messy. And that's just the truth. Most of us don't like to get messy. And I will tell you, it's messy. Walking with people from the LGBT experience is messy because we all come from an experience of rejection and turmoil. So there is a thing called, called um, adverse childhood experiences. So in the psychology world, adverse childhood experiences are things like um, broken marriage, sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, having a mother or a father that's an extreme alcoholic, um, all of the, um, one of your parents going into uh, prison, um, lots of different things. But there's eight main ones. With, with um, these adverse childhood experiences, the average adult in America has one adverse childhood experience. Some have two. The average person within the LGBT community, 63% of them have three or more. Their lives are going to be messier than your average person. You don't have to understand everything they're going through. What you have to do is be willing to walk through it with love and say, Come in. Let's just have a talk. Your goal is not to change them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your goal is not to change their mind, to convince them with your lofty words. Your goal is to introduce them to a Jesus that loved them, who died for them and loves them so much that he will wait as long as he needs to to bring them to the point of transformation. The way the devil gets the church to fail is he puts pressure on us. 
that this is the only opportunity and the only moment you're ever going to have to speak truth to this person. Why do you think some of us are meant to water? Some of us are meant to plant seeds, right? Some of us get to experience the harvest. Most of the time, we're not going to plant a seed, water it, and watch it harvest right in that moment. So don't fall into the trap that the bait of Satan tries to get us in, where he wants us to fix. We're not here to fix. We're not here to make people look the part. We're here to introduce them to a Savior who wants to transform their lives. Amen. We want to welcome you to Sunday mornings at Frisco Church. We hope you enjoy this message today from our guest speaker.